Welcome to SCG Church's podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. We also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. Thanks so much for listening. Be seated. All right, hey, before we uh, jump in today, a couple quick announcements. Is, um, is you uh, may have noticed, we've opened up our kids' programs, and so we're open all the way up through, um, I mean, all ages are open actually now. And, um, and with that comes a lot of kids, which is exciting, but we need more volunteers. And so if you are a former kids volunteer or you just want to jump in and be a part of what we're doing over there, we would love to have you be a part of that team. And uh, your, kind of your first step along that process is just simply to go over to the uh, kids patio. There'll be some people over there, some staff who can help you um, kind of get ready and, and get some next steps so that you can be uh, a part of that. Oh, I forgot to say hi to everybody who's online. Hello, everybody that's online. You guys have already been greeted. I think, so we're glad that you guys are here, but if you are watching online, thanks for uh, watching with us, and then you guys in the back as well. Okay, uh, also, oh, this is kind of fun. This is exciting. So in a few weeks, we have um, some services coming up, Good Friday and Easter, and here's what we're going to do. We don't know how this is going to go. It's going to be kind of exciting, but for Good Friday service, we are going to have it indoors, okay? Yeah. And so um, we, it will be limited capacity, so you do need to register for that, and there, there is going to be child care available. Um, but we're going to kind of see as an experiment how that goes, because I don't know, some of you guys may not know this, we have other buildings here on campus. Yeah, in fact, there's one really big one that has lots of seats in it, super comfortable. Uh, so we might, uh, we might get back in there and see how that goes. And so we encourage you to, of course, be here on Good Friday, but you got to register for that. We're going to continue the social distancing and all that kind of good stuff, but this is uh, our attempt of getting back inside. And so if you feel comfortable, please um, become a part of that. And like I said, we have, uh, excuse me, we'll have nursery through preschool registration required. Uh, nursery through preschool registration is required. And, um, and then if you have young kids or whatever, they can come in, they can be a part of service and they'll, uh, they'll definitely be able to connect with that. And then uh, Easter, we're going to have two services. They are going to be outside and it's going to be five o'clock here on Saturday night. And then we're going to have a 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Okay. So instead of our normal nine o'clock, we're going to move to 10 o'clock. And that's going to be our new time for Sunday mornings. All right. So we're going to move to 10 o'clock. Yeah. Our band is very excited about this. Uh, they don't like being here that early. And so we're going to move that service time to 10 o'clock. So if you ever do come on the weekends uh, or on the Sunday morning, that's, uh, that's going to be the new service time starting on Easter and a registration is required for that as well. And then, of course, we are going to be doing offering right now. And so we have some offering baskets that you can give to, you can give online, and um, we encourage you to continue to do that, and uh, we just thank you for that. So let's jump in. Uh, we are in the middle of a series that we started last week, and it is called Masterclass. And Masterclass is a series that we do throughout the year, and we take a book of the Bible, and we try to help you master it in about five weeks. And so we're going, to be, uh, we're going to be mastering the book of Matthew. And last week we started out uh, with the first section of Matthew. And if you know anything about Matthew, um, it's a fairly long book. It's one of the Gospels, and I'll kind of give you the background. But the way that we do it is we break it down over the next five weeks, or, or over a five-week period, into sections. And so Matthew's pretty cool because it easily breaks down into five sections. We have um, 
like the five major talks or discourses by Jesus. And so we're looking at each one of those and it divides into a narrative. So there's like these stories that lead up to a teaching. And so we're going to look at a narrative and a teaching every weekend. But masterclass is not just on the weekends. It takes place throughout the week as well. And so every day we send out a devotional and you're going to read either a chapter, maybe two chapters of Matthew. And then there's a pastor's devotional. So one of us on staff, we write it and we have a little video that goes along with it. And so you can sign up on our website and you can receive those in your email inbox. And um, I, I was corrected last week. I guess we have a few thousand people who are signed up and read those every single day. And so you need to make sure that you're a part of that because it's a very cool way. Yes. And I know that like that's been a big hit this last season. So make sure you, you jump into those. And then we have this thing called the debrief. And the debrief takes place on Tuesday night. And it's where the pastors get together and we kind of have a class where we start to look a little bit deeper into what we talked about on the weekend. So we kind of look at the theology. We look at the structure. Structure. We look at some more application. And it was really fun this last week because we got to do that inside in the warehouse. And so if you were here, you saw it and our pastors, they loved it because it was like, wow, there's actually people in here, not just cameras. This is so fun. So we do have it live stream, so you can watch it from home or you can watch it throughout the week. But if you can make it here on Tuesday nights, please be here. You do have to register and we encourage you to, but it's so fun just being able to be here. You can ask questions. We, we have a blast. So make sure you're here on Tuesday night. And I think that's at 630 as well. Uh, and then afterward, we have discussions. And so if you're in a group, we give you discussion questions and you can kind of sift through that information. If you don't have a group, we'll get you in one and you can sign up on the website for that as well. So uh, the book of Matthew, if you weren't here last week, let me get you caught up really quick. Um, the book of Matthew was written by a guy named Matthew. Come on, you didn't have to go here to know that one. That one's pretty simple. All right. Uh, written by a guy named Matthew, and he was one of Jesus' disciples. It, it is uh, one of the four gospels. So there's the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are the stories of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection from different perspectives according to different people. And, uh, and Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience, and so he's coming from the perspective of a, uh, of a Jewish person trying to convince them that this is the prophesied Messiah. And so there's a lot of Old Testament quotes in there. There's a, um, there's a lot of like a prophecy fulfillment in there, things like that. And so Matthew um, is a was a tax collector before he started following Jesus, starts following Jesus, and then eventually writes this whole gospel or this, this whole uh, account of Jesus' life. And here's the big idea from last week. The big idea was that Jesus has arrived with good news. We're going to talk about what the good news is, but the good news is that the kingdom of God has arrived with his coming. So really big theological concept. The kingdom of God is, and I kind of gave you a little rough outline of it last week, is it is where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So that may sound familiar because it's in the Lord's Prayer. And so it's where people willingly submit to God's rule over their life, where he begins to rule over their hearts and their minds. And the, the program that God has in place throughout of humanity is he's bringing a world that is spinning out of control, that has been in rebellion back under his authority. And so Jesus is the one that is kind of bringing that to earth. And he starts claiming that he is the king of that kingdom is he starts acting like a king. He starts appointing 12 disciples. He starts making these huge claims that only God can make, like that he has the ability to forgive sins. And so the kingdom of God has arrived. Jesus is the king. And then he starts laying out what it looks like to live in the kingdom here and now. And that's the Sermon on the Mount, is here's what kingdom living looks like. And he gives the values and the beliefs. And, and, um, and, and it's really an upside-down kingdom. 
is he takes all the things that we know about the world and he turns them upside down. And he says, if you want to be successful in the kingdom of God, you're not to pursue power, but weakness. Instead of pride, I want humility. Instead of it being about your will, it's about my will being done. He gives this whole new way of living, priorities, belief, knowing God, ways to be human. And so today we're going to jump in right after that sermon, right after the Sermon on the Mount, starting at chapter 8. Jesus finishes up, and then he walks down off the mountain. Here's what it says. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, you can uh, join with me. So uh, Matthew 8, 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And so Matthew begins these series of stories. This first one is just one, but there's about, I think, seven more, no, eight more after this of Jesus performing different types of miracles. And so we have, obviously, this healing of leprosy, but then we have another one where there's a man who's paralyzed, who's healed. Peter's mother-in-law, who is sick, uh, is healed. Claim, uh, he calms the, the winds and the waves, casts out demons. He raises a girl from dead. He performs all of these different kinds of miracles. Now, if you're reading this for the first time or hearing about this for the first time, you might want to go, whoa, 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 time out. Let's pause here for a second is what, like, all right, I'm a skeptical person, all right? I'm a skeptical, if you know me, I'm a skeptical person. When you read this, you go, am I really supposed to believe? Like, are these analogous to some, like, are these, are these trying to illustrate a bigger purpose? Like, I get it. The Bible, it's got some good morals in it, some good teachings. It's, it's, this guy, Jesus, he seems like a good guy, but am I really supposed to believe in these literal miracles that are taking place? Like, that this guy, Jesus, because this old book told me so, I'm supposed to believe that he was able to do things that no other person in human history was able to do. And I think you got to realize that this isn't just a modern problem. Like, oh yeah, we're scientifically minded, you know, post-enlightenment, Western think, like, And so we just really, we have a hard time believing this. I'm pretty sure in the first century, when people were hearing about this, they went, virgin getting pregnant. Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, a dead person rising from the dead? Oh, I saw that last Tuesday. That's awesome. No, that didn't happen then. It doesn't happen now. That's why it's a big deal. That's why it's miraculous. And so let me just take a moment for the skeptics out there like me who have a hard time maybe believing this kinds of stuff. Because if you are being honest and you're a cynic is you think, you know, there are people who believe in miracles. Those people are called children. And, and, and the reason why they believe in miracles is because they believe in superheroes. They, and they dress up and they pretend to play with them. Because, but I know that superheroes are pretend, and superhero powers are pretend, and I know that miracles are pretend as well. Well, let's pause for a second. I don't think we can just dismiss it that easily, because there are a lot of people throughout human history, philosophers and scientists, even people today, like 79% of Americans believe that miracles do happen. People who are much smarter than me or you have believed and still continue to believe that miracles are a possibility. And so I want to just for a second pause and just talk about the possibility of miracles. Not just in the Bible, but are, are miracles happening even still today? So there's an interesting area of study. Um, it's called near-death experiences. We had a speaker years ago who talked about this, and, and there's lots of books about it, and, and there's even a Netflix thing. I wouldn't really recommend it, but it does have some interesting stories in there. And, and they talk about people who have uh, medically died, and then they've been revived, and they tell a story of what happened to them. 
And all the stories, doesn't matter what culture they're from, they're very similar to one another, and they claim to have something miraculous take place, many of these. And so I was reading uh, an article, I think it's about five or six years old now in The Atlantic, and it's about a, a, one of these stories. They're doing research and trying to understand this new area of study called NDEs. And, and one of the stories that stood out, a pretty famous story, is uh, someone who had brain surgery. And so I don't know much about brain surgery. I know this is uh, probably surprising to you. I'm not a brain surgeon. Um, but one of the procedures that they do is they bring the body temperature all the way down to 59 degrees. They um, pretty much freeze them. They drain their blood. They stop their heart and their brain stops in order for them to perform this brain surgery on the patient. And so someone was going through this procedure and there's all these interesting details. Like they put these clickers in their their ears so that they can be able to uh, track if there's any um, brain activity going. It's very interesting and kind of scary. Well, this person has the surgery, makes it through successfully. They revive them, bring them back to life. They end up um, being okay. And when they come out of the surgery, they start to describe what they said was an out-of-body experience in which they were floating above their body and they're watching this whole surgery take place. Weird, all right? And as they're describing it, they describe the instruments that the doctors were using who used them, conversations that were being had during the surgery, who said what, all the details that only a person in the room would know, but this person was medically dead. And so the doctors attest to this. Everybody says, yeah, this is legit. This really is happening. And when you hear stories like that, or maybe you hear stories that are maybe a little bit more personal. So I have some people in my family who have said that they've experienced miracles. And not just like, ooh, that's weird miracles, but like really, I can't explain it except for the miraculous. Like my great-grandfather, kind of the part of our family history is he wanted to ditch the family. He was done. He didn't want anything to do with God. He was getting ready to go out the front door. God strikes him dead, uh, down, paralyzed. He thinks he's going to die. And he wrestles with God all night there until he finally submits, and then he is able to walk again. Very weird, right? Very weird stuff. And this is my own family saying this stuff. When I hear stories like this, and maybe you've had stories like this in in your life, I want to just kind of brush it away and go, ah, that's weird, I don't know. In fact, I listened to um, an interview with the editor of Skeptic Magazine, not a believer, and he was presented with all of these weird things that happened. And even he had this experience in which he couldn't explain And his thing was, you know, it's a weird world, weird things happen, I can't explain it. All right, well then we should at least be open to the possibility of miracles. And so maybe there's a deeper question that we have to ask about miracles is, is if they are possible, it's probably dependent upon what we believe about a bigger question. Does God exist or not? And I'm not going to go into a whole apologetic about God existing and, and why, but I think there's a lot of interesting arguments, you know, from the creation of the universe to the fine-tuning to the, the place in which the, the earth is called the Goldilocks zone, and we have the emergence of life and conscience. Just all of these things that either are the most improbable coincidence or God exists. And if God exists, there's no problem with miracles. It's kind of like an author. He can write himself into the story. He can change the story. He's not bound by the laws of the story because he's the author of the story. So God can do that if he wants to. Okay, so a majority of us probably go, all right, miracle is a possibility. Then what's the purpose of miracles? Like what was Jesus trying to accomplish through all of this? Let me give you three things. A proof, a pointer, and a pattern. So last week we talked about Jesus performing these miracles and, and really he's talking or he's showing that Um, He is who he claims to be, that he is the Messiah, that he has this power that only God could have, that he has this kind of authority. 
And so in this uh, passage in 8 9, it says this, For I myself am a man under authority. So this is centurion, and he has a, a slave of his that is dying, and he wants Jesus to heal him. With soldiers under me, I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And then he asked Jesus, can you please heal my servant? So what he's saying here is, I'm a man who has authority. And when I tell my guys to do what they're supposed to do, they go and they do it. And so what I want you to do is I want you to tell this disease, this sickness, this death to flee. Meaning you have the authority to be able to do that. The disciples come to this realization as well, a couple verses down. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is it? So the winds and the waves are going. He says to them to be calm. It says, even the winds and the waves obey him. See, what they're all trying to say here is somehow this man, Jesus, has authority. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over the wind and the waves. He has authority over even the, the demonic. Who is this man that has that kind of power and authority? See, he was trying to confirm the message that he really was the Messiah. It's also a pointer. It's a pointer to pointing to how things were. So we look in the Genesis account before things started spinning out of control. And what Jesus does is he is doing the miraculous and he's saying, this is how the world was supposed to be. The world was not supposed to be full of, of sickness and, and death and wars and destruction. What, what the world was supposed to be a place in which you could live in harmony with, with your surroundings and with your God. And so when, God, when Jesus comes and he performs these miracles, what he's really doing is he's putting the world back together the way that it was supposed to be. We think of miracles as being something that is supernatural, but maybe miracles are the most natural thing because they're actually putting it back to the way that it was intended. He's also pointing to a day in which the world will be healed. A day in which there will be no kids who are starving any longer. There will be no death. There will be no tears. There will be no sorrow. He is pointing towards a day in which he will return and he will put the world back together fully. He's pointing to the way things were and the way things will be one day. He's also giving us a pattern. Jesus is setting a pattern for us to live by. As he does these miracles, he is showing us how discontent he is with the way that the world is. Which means that as his followers, we should be discontent with the way that the world is as well. That he sets this pattern when he goes out into the world and he heals the sick and he feeds the hungry. It means that we are supposed to be out there feeding the hungry and healing the sick. That we are supposed to be people who go out and we perform the miraculous. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, uh-oh, here we go. This is going to get weird. Where are the snakes at? They're coming out. We're going to handle snakes. No, that's not what I mean here. What I mean by this is, maybe the miraculous will happen. Maybe something supernatural will take place. But Jesus said that we're going to be able to do even more than he did. What does he mean by that? Well, when Jesus would heal somebody, that one person was healed. And Jesus would feed people, then that group was fed. But what he's saying is that when Christians come together and they are united, when they have this singular goal in mind to go out and to live as his hands and his feet, what they're going to be, be able to accomplish is far greater than anything he was able to do on his own. Because we'll be able to heal. Think about it. All the hospitals in the world, think about them, all the hospitals. Who were they started by? Christians. Look at their names. If you think about the orphanages, if you think about the food pantries, if you think about the nonprofits, who were they started by? Christians. You know why? Because he set a pattern for us and he says, I want you to go and I want you to change the world. I want you to make it a better place. And will it be through the supernatural? Maybe. 
but it will definitely be by you guys coming together with this singular goal in mind in order to bring healing and comfort into the world. Over and over, Jesus performs these miracles, but the miracles were not the end goal that he had. The miracles were a confirmation. Yes, he wants to alleviate pain and suffering in the world, no doubt. But that wasn't his ultimate goal because you know what happened to every single person that Jesus healed? They died. Eventually they died. They got a little longer life with a little bit less suffering. That's incredible. But they still died, which is why he always, after he performed some type of miracle, after he spoke to people, he said, now you need to put your faith in me because this is great. I'm glad that I could help in this moment, but the real answer to your problem is that you need me. You need a relationship with me. You need eternal life. And so allow this to be the thing that that meets your felt need, but your real need is this deeper spiritual need. And so come into a relationship with me. And that's why we as a church, we continue to try to make the world a better place. And we do. We want to make it a great place. In fact, I went over to our food pantry, and I think you guys are just doing an incredible, that thing is filled up, and there's people getting, it's just, it's amazing. We have partners around the world that we support. We're always trying to serve. We want to make this community a better place. But our ultimate goal is not just to make the world a better place. It's to make people, it's a, to bring people into a relationship with Jesus, because we know that's their ultimate need. And so here's what he does next. He says, okay, guys, I've set a pattern for you to follow. And then he begins his big speech. In Matthew chapter 10, he starts his second discourse. And here's what he says. He says, now it is your turn. It is your turn. I'm giving you my power and my authority to go out on a mission in the world and bring this message. And the message is the good news, the gospel. Now, if you're a church person or not, um, if I were to ask you, what is the good news? What is the gospel message? Here's what you would probably say. You would probably say the good news is that Jesus has come and he has died so that I could be forgiven of my sins and go to heaven one day. But that hasn't happened yet in the story. That's not till the end. And so the good news can't be that Jesus has come and died and resurrected so that we can be forgiven, although that's a part of the story. That can't be the good news he's talking about here. What is the good news that he wants us to share? He says that the good news is that the kingdom of God has arrived, that God is taking back what is rightfully his. A world that is out of control is getting put back together, that the king has come to reclaim his throne. And so this is the difference between good news and good advice. A lot of people think that Christianity is about good advice. Hey, you know what? Here's what you should do in order to make your life better and help you get things on track and have a better marriage and all this. And so, or here's, and this is kind of maybe how some of us were, were raised is here's what you need to do in order for God to be your friend, in order for him to like you and for you to get into heaven one day. That's not good news. If there's a bunch of stuff I have to do now, that's good advice, but that's not good news. Good news is an announcement that something has happened. Whether I believe in it or not, whether I participate or not, it is good news. And so the good news is that Jesus has come and he's bringing the kingdom to earth. That's really good news. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to buy into it. But that's still news. And that's what he wants us to share. He says the good news is that the kingdom is here and you can be a part of it. So here's how I imagine this next part going. Jesus gives his guys like this, 
this like pep talk, you know, like, all right, we're going to go out there. We're going to change the world. I want you to share this message. The Messiah has arrived, blah, 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 you know, and there, and Peter, if you know anything about Peter, he's kind of like a, he's like emotionally driven dude, you know, and so he probably jumps up and he's got his brave heart moment. He's like, ah, let's go, you know, and he goes, oh, Jesus, hold on, uh, Peter, I need to give you just a couple warnings <laughs> before you go out there, okay? Because you think you're going to go out there and be a rock star. You know, you've been hanging out with me. I feed people. People like being fed. So you're going to go out there. People are going to want to hang out with you. And then that, that's partly true. But I need to warn you that this isn't going to be all the fun that you think it's going to be. I've been reading a book by a Navy SEAL, and it's called Embrace the Suck. And that's like their motto. Like whenever they're about to do something, they just go, all right, man, let's embrace the suck because this is really going to suck. And they just, they just try to make that just a part of their ethos. It's just, all right, you know what? It's going to be hard. It's going to be ugly. No one's going to have any fun. In fact, they start to see it as an opportunity for growth. I'm like, what kind of sick people are these? But like, you know what? It's going to be rough, and that's going to make us, that's going to make us bigger and better and stronger. So let's, let's just embrace it, and let's go. That's kind of what Jesus is about to tell them right now is, Okay, guys, disciples, we're about to go on this mission, but you just need to embrace the suck because it's probably going to suck. Here's what he says. And this is not how I would sell it, by the way. Like if I were to, like, to sell it to you, I'd be like, guys, this is going to be amazing. We're going to change the world. You can't even believe the kind of things I got. It's got to do, right? And it's kind of, that's not what Jesus does. Here's what he says. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. <laughs> oh, great. That's what I was hoping to do. I was hoping to be a sheep and get devoured by everybody. You're going to be dragged into court. You're going to be flogged, tortured, betrayed by your family, hated by everyone because of me. In fact, most of you are going to end up dying because you follow me. The student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. Is it enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters? He's saying, what do you expect? You're going to go out there and you know what's going to happen to me? I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be stripped naked. I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be crucified. Do you think that you're going to get away with just a, a comfortable, happy life if you follow me? This is what I love about Jesus' teachings, by the way, is I feel like he's trying to convince you not to follow him most of the time. Like he is not trying to sell himself. He is not going like, guys, you're just, you're going to really like follow me. I'm going to give you the coolest house and car, and you're going to just love it. He's just like, no, this is going to suck, you guys. This is going to be, this is going to be tough, man. I love that about him. Because he says, you need to be prepared for what you're about to step into. Because the message that you're bringing, for some, can be seen as life. You are giving them, you're giving them hope. You're giving them a purpose. You're giving them eternal life. And so some are going to receive that, but others are going to see this as divisive because you're now challenging the very thing that they want the most in the world, which is autonomy. You're trying to challenge their little kingdom and them being kings, and they don't want to get off that throne. And what you're telling them is, get off of your throne. Just give, give your kingdom away and submit to him. That is, that is the exact opposite of what the human heart desires. And so it could get ugly. It could get ugly really fast. But then he ends with this, a piece of encouragement. He says, do not be afraid. Uh, what? You just told me all the reasons why I should be afraid. And I am kind of afraid now. But now you're telling me do not be afraid? He says, yeah, yeah, don't be afraid. Because although there might be a lot of people who betray you, and there might be people who are torn away from you, I'm never going to leave you. 
I'm always going to be here with you. I'll always be by your side. I'll be there to comfort you, to give you peace, to give you guidance. In fact, I love you more than anyone else in this world loves you. Here's how much I love you. I know how many hairs on your head you have. I'm looking at some of you, I know as well, zero. But um, <laughs> it's besides the point. So you think about, think about your closest relationship. For me, it would be my wife. Marriage is about us spending a lifetime just getting to know each other. Just getting to know each other on a deeper and deeper level. But you know what? Even as much as I love her and as much as I want to know her, I don't care how many hairs she has on her head. By the way, in my defense, it changes quite often, depending if she has extensions in or not, but that's a whole different story. I will be getting in trouble for that comment later. <laughs> Worth it. Um, so maybe it's I, I pay for the hairs of, on her head. I don't know. That's a thing. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. Never mind. Okay. Whew. I love her so much that I want to spend the rest of my life with her, but I will not count the hairs on her head. Because I, I, I don't know if I love her that much, I guess. And she didn't love me that much. But, but you know who does? God. He loves you so much that he knows every single thing about you. Not just physical traits. He knows you better than you know you. And so he loves you even more than anyone else in this world could love you because he knows you that well. Then he reminds the disciples, hey, this is temporary. This whole life is temporary. You're going to be here today and gone tomorrow. Life is like a mist. And so what you do here is just going to be temporary, but it will echo for eternity. And so you will one day stand side by side with me looking into eternity, and you will have said, I will do that a million times over, no matter what the cost is. Because life is just temporary. There's a story, um, I wasn't planning on, on uh, telling it, but I think I got a, a real quick minute, is when I think about this, there's this old sermon that comes in my mind. It's probably 30 or 40 years old now. And it became kind of a, a famous sermon by a guy named John Piper. Maybe you've heard of him, author and pastor. And, and he gets up there and he's speaking in front of this crowd of 40,000 youth. And it's in an outdoor place like, like this, except there's a wind that's going and his, his notes get <laughs> tossed away. And so he just kind of has to freestyle it up there. And he doesn't know what to say. And he's like, God, what do you want me to talk about? And he just says, you know, I had a tough week. Because in my church, there was these two women that we sent out as missionaries, and they're both, you know, nearing 80 years old, retired nurses, and they decided to go to this third world country, and ever since they retired, this is where they've been serving, out in the most impoverished places in the world, using their skills in order to bring healing and comfort and, and feeding to those who are, are without, and they just have lived this life dedicated to Jesus. Both of them were single, and they just said, you know what, we're just going to give it everything that we've got. Well, this last week, they were in one of these old cars going down one of these dirt roads and the brakes went out on them. They went off the side of a cliff and both of them died instantly. And so he asked the youth, he says, is that a tragedy? He says, no, it's not a tragedy because we're all going to die. 
He says, you know, it's a tragedy. And he pulls out this newspaper article and it's about a, a couple who retired early in their 50s and how they retired early and what they're doing with their life. And he says, um, okay, here's what they're doing is they move down to Florida and they spend their time uh, going golfing and they have a boat that they go on and then they collect sh seashells at, every single day. He says, you know what a wasted life looks like? That's a wasted life. He says, a wasted life is you stand before your creator and you go, but look at all the pretty shells that I have. But look at my golf swing. He says, that's a wasted life. That's a tragedy. He says, don't waste your life. Make it about something that matters. Make it about the mission. Make it about the kingdom. Make it about bringing people into a relationship with Christ. Make your life matter. That has always stuck in my mind, is I never want to come to the end of my life and go, you know, I collected a lot of fun stuff. Look at all the toys that I have. Look at all the little activities that I got to do. Yeah, sure, that's great, but if that's what my life amounts to, that is a tragedy. That is a wasted life. That's why Jesus says, guys, let's go. We have a mission. We have the opportunity that we get to go and change the world. And so, yes, it may cost you. Yeah, it may get ugly once in a while, but here's what I do promise you, is I promise you not that it was going to be easy. What I promise you is that it's going to be worth it. And so I think that's the question for many of us. What are we striving for in life? Are we striving for something that is easy or for something in the end that is worth it? Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for the mission that you have sent us out on, to bring people into your kingdom, that the king has come, that the king loves us, that the king has made a way for us to be a part of his kingdom. And so, Lord God, we don't want to be people who are apathetic, people who are, are trying to take the easy way out, but, but we are people who are, who are focused on you and your kingdom. And so, Lord God, one of my prayers that I pray on a regular basis is, Lord, don't let me waste my life. I don't know how many years I have. I don't, I don't know what opportunities you're going to put in front of me, but Lord, I just want to be a good steward. I don't want to see my life wasted on silly things. And so, Lord God, if there's any of us who may be tempted to pursue the easy instead of the one that actually matters, allow us to see, allow us to, to, to have the strength to be able to pursue a life that is so different than what we're being told we should live, a life with meaning, a life with a message, a life that is a mission-focused, a life that matters, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, will you guys stand with me? Hey, um, as we talk about this, this kind of life that matters, a mission, we have a great opportunity coming up. In a couple of weeks, we have Easter. And it's one of those weeks in which people are maybe more open to coming to church than they normally would be. And so I would really encourage you to think about who can I invite and um, how can I make this matter? Have a great week, you guys. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message, and remember, we also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. You can always join us online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.